0: You can go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Ryan, and I serve here as one of the pastors. And I want to welcome you and let you know we're really glad uh, that you're here with us this morning. If you are new with us, we're in a series walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. uh, And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. Uh, and, And so if you've got a Bible, you can make your way there. And if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Uh, So on that table back there, there's some black hardback ones. If you didn't grab one of those on your way in, go ahead and go grab one of those uh, and keep that. That's our gift to you uh, as a church. But 1 Corinthians 7 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning, and uh, I don't know about you, but but I can tell you for me, I have spent so much of my life thinking that uh, real happiness and joy and kind of fullness of life is uh, on the other side of a new season uh, in where I'm at. And so when I was younger, it was, man, I can't wait to get into high school and, and I'll be able to drive and I can uh, go anywhere and do anything. That's when life is really going to uh, be awesome. And then I got into high school and I was able to drive and it became, man, I, uh, I can't wait to get into college. That's when life is really going to take off. And then I got into college, and it became, man, I can't wait to get married and start my career. That's just going to be uh, when life is really has that fullness of joy. And then uh, I got married and started my career, and it became, man, I can't wait to start a family. Like, that's where uh, fullness of joy is found. And uh, I, I'm not saying that I haven't been happy in all of those circumstances I have. I'm really not trying to make this like a super depressing sermon introduction, you know, like, welcome to church. Uh, I've been miserable my whole life. Uh, I haven't. I really haven't. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, But what I am saying is that I I think for most of us, most of us think that real happiness and joy and kind of fullness of life uh, is on the other side uh, of where we're currently at. That uh, real happiness is joy is found in getting new circumstances and getting into a new season of life. But What we've seen over the past few weeks and what we're going to see again this morning in 1 Corinthians 7 is that uh, real happiness and joy isn't found in getting new circumstances, but in following Jesus in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And and so Paul is going to zoom in again and talk about marriage and singleness this morning, mostly singleness, and show us that uh, whether we're married or single, we are in the perfect place to know and love and follow God and and be known and loved by God because singleness and marriage uh, are gifts that God gives us to serve him with. And so let's see this together in the text now. We're we're in 1 Corinthians 7. We'll start in verse 25, and and we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. And so starting in verse 25, uh, the very word of God to us today, it speaks to us like this. It says, Now concerning the betrothed, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better." A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So the first thing Paul shows us in this passage is that we should live now in light of what is coming Soon, And so over the past few weeks, we've been talking about marriage and divorce and and singleness and remarriage, and uh, we're going to kind of close that out today. Paul's going to again talk about marriage uh, and singleness, but really zoom zoom in on singleness specifically. And so we're going to talk about singleness today, and before we go any further, I I do want to acknowledge uh, a pastor who is married talking about the benefits of singleness and how it's such a gift Uh, that can really easily start to sound like nails on a chalkboard, and and I really don't want to do that this morning. Like, I, I do want to do my best to acknowledge the hard realities of singleness Uh, And I also want to acknowledge that when we talk about singleness, we're not just talking about people who have not been married yet. We're also talking about those who might experience same-sex attraction and out of a desire to remain faithful to God, uh, just know that they're probably going to be celibate for the rest of their lives because they don't see those desires changing uh, any further. We're we're talking about those who have uh, been divorced or widowed and are now experiencing singleness again, maybe even as uh, a single parent. And so, for all of those categories, I want to acknowledge that sometimes when we talk about singleness being a gift, uh, for those of us who are single, it can really easily feel like one of those gifts that you don't really want. Like when somebody gets you socks for Christmas and you're like, thanks, can, can I take these back? Like, uh, it, it's the thought that counts. Well, I thought they were going to get me a better gift. Right? So, like, that's not a bad feeling to have if that's your feeling towards singleness. Like you don't have to act like everything is kind of gumdrops and rainbows. You are free to acknowledge what is difficult and what is hard uh, about singleness. But what I, what I do want us to see is God's purpose in the midst of all of it and the freedom that the gospel gives us no matter where we find ourselves. And so Paul begins here in verse 25 and says concerning the betrothed, or that word could be translated virgins. And so, think those who are single, those who have not been married yet or are experiencing singleness. He says concerning them, uh, I have no command from the Lord. So, we've seen what this means is, that, uh, this is not something that this is something that Jesus did not explicitly address during his earthly ministry. But with that said, Paul says, by, by the grace of Jesus, he is someone who is trustworthy and he's giving us his judgment. Uh, And at the end of the day, he is writing inspired Scripture, so it would probably be pretty wise for us to at least consider what he has to say. Right, maybe you would say, well, it's just Paul's opinion. I mean, who's to say it's any better than my opinion? Well, they don't put your opinions in the Bible, right? And so when, when he gives us a command here, like he does in verse 39 about only marrying someone in the Lord, it's to be followed. And when he gives his opinion or his judgment, like he does about how it's better to remain single And it's wise for us to weigh it and consider it, even if we don't ultimately end up following it. Because overall, what Paul really does is he gives us a lot of freedom here. Because he goes on and he says, I think it's good for a person to remain as he or she is. And so are you married? You don't need to seek to get out of that marriage. Are you single? You don't need to try to find a spouse and get married. You're free to remain as you were when Jesus saved you. Uh, Because being married or single does not affect your standing with God. It does not save you, and it does not keep you from being able to fully follow Jesus. Like Paul's saying here, you you don't have to be single and have that undivided time and attention to really be able to follow Jesus. You, You don't have to be married to be like a good Christian and a whole person. You're free to follow Jesus wherever you're at, and so if you've got a spouse, stick with them. Uh, If you're not married, you don't have to feel the pressure to be married, but if you do want to be married, you can pursue that and get married. It's not a sin to do so. But in saying that, Paul wants to be honest about the realities of marriage and commend remaining single in many cases. He's really trying to be pastoral here uh, and and tell us that those who are married are going to face worldly troubles. We'll talk more about what that means uh, in the next section of the text, but Paul says he wants to spare us from that. And then he gives us his reason why in verse 29. He says, because the appointed time has grown very short. And so those who have a spouse should live as if they did not. And those who mourn should live as if they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as if they were not rejoicing. Those who work as if they didn't work, weren't working a job. Those who do business with the world as if they were not doing business with the world because the present form of this world is passing away. Now, here's what this means. This does not mean that if you're married, you need to get divorced so you can live like you don't have a spouse. I mean, Paul just said you shouldn't do that a few verses ago. And he's not saying if you're mourning or rejoicing, you need to stop doing that. If you're working a job, you need to stop doing that. If you're buying and selling stuff, you need to stop doing that. He's not saying to stop doing all these things, but instead to keep them in their proper order, to keep them in their proper perspective. You see, because this life, this present life isn't it, it isn't all there is, and it isn't what we should be living for, and it isn't what matters most. Uh, instead, we should be living now in light of the reality of what's coming soon. Like, that future should shape the way that we live right now in the present. And so if you, uh, if you haven't heard yet, or it's like your first Sunday, uh, my wife and I are expecting our, our first child uh, in March, uh, a little baby girl. Um, we're, thank you for the uh, three people that are excited with us. Uh, yeah, we're, we're really excited about that, and uh, I've got a parenting book coming out pretty soon, uh, and so if you need any advice or tips, uh, I, I think it'll be really helpful for you, so you can pick that up. Uh, I'm just kidding. I do know that I don't know the first thing uh, about being a parent, uh, but what I do know is that the entrance of this little girl into the world is going to completely change our lives. Uh, And that in March, life as we knew it uh, is really kind of over, right? It's going to be a completely new situation. And because we know that she is coming soon into the world, and in March, our lives are going to completely change, uh, it would be pretty foolish to not start living right now like that's about to happen, right? Like, it would be foolish. We know this is going to happen, so it would be foolish to not prepare for this and uh, for her to get here and us to bring her home from the hospital and be like, well, I mean, I guess there's some space on the floor over there that she could sleep on. Do you think maybe we should get her some diapers or something like that? Like, it, it would be foolish to not uh, prepare and, and, and not, uh, because the present form of our lives is very quickly passing away. Uh, it'd be really foolish for us to not start living our lives now in, in, what, in light of what is coming soon, or maybe better said, uh, who is coming soon? That's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying because Jesus has already come once and he has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit on the church, well, now you know how the story ends. You know that he is going to come again and set everything back to right and we will live with him forever. Like, that's what's coming for us in the future. That's what we're living for. And we know, based on what Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, that Uh, We have been in the last days since Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit on the church so Jesus could return at any time. That's what I think Paul means when he says in view of the present distress. The present distress is that we are and we have been in the last days and Jesus could come at any time. He's coming quickly. And I I know maybe you read this and you hear that and you're like, yeah, uh, but but Paul said this 2,000 years ago. Like how quickly can it be? And I would just say, yeah, but but what's 2,000 years compared to eternity? Like, you're going to get maybe 80 to 90 years here, and you're going to spend eternity. Like, that's forever, without end, uh, either with Jesus or apart from him. And so, which is more real? Which is more important? Which is more lasting? And so because eternity is more real and more important and more lasting, we ought to live now in light of what is coming then, in light of the reality that we are headed for life with Jesus. And so Paul is not saying here that you just kind of go doomsday prepper and you hole up in your underground bunker and you wait for the end of the world to come. He's saying you keep the things of this world in their proper perspective. Because marriage is a great gift, but it's a terrible God. And if you try to make it a God in your life, if you make it what you look to for your ultimate happiness and meaning and satisfaction, it's going to crush both you and your spouse. and Business and your job and stuff, these are good gifts from God but terrible gods. And so we ought to hold the things of this world with an open hand because we realize that Jesus is ultimate. He is who we are living for. I mean, that, that's really what Paul wants for you Uh, with what he's saying here, all of your life to be lived all for Jesus. Because when Jesus gets first place in your life, everything else fits into its proper place. You're able to keep it in its proper perspective. Because instead of these other things having to be God's for you and give you purpose and meaning and kind of ultimate fulfillment in life, uh, instead these things can just serve as what they are, good gifts to enjoy and worship and serve God with. Like, then you'll be able to rejoice in good things without all your happiness and meaning riding on them so you're not crushed if your circumstances change. Then you'll be able to mourn without being crushed because you'll know that whatever may be taken away from you in this life, Jesus cannot be taken away from you. And so, yes, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. And and hear me, you actually do not love your spouse well when they are your greatest love in life. You do not love your spouse well when they become ultimate. You're putting a weight on them they're never going to be able to bear. You love your spouse well when Jesus is your greatest love in life. When you make him ultimate, then you're freed up to love them in a way that serves them and won't crush them. Human marriage is not eternal. It it does not last forever. And so we shouldn't live in a way that betrays that truth right now. And so we live now in light of what is coming soon. And then next in the text, Paul tells us uh, that, that you should live free in light of the gift that God has given you. Look back again at the text with me, verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Uh, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And, And so Paul reminds us again, he wants us to be free from anxieties. This is why he's commending singleness, because when you're single, you have The opportunity to have undivided interests and undivided attention compared to married couples whose interests are divided. And Paul's not saying that this is a bad thing for married couples either. He's saying this is the reality and this is the way that it should be. Like if you're married, you need to be concerned with your spouse. It would be wrong of you to say, Hey, I'm going to go serve God. I'll see you when I see you, and be emotionally and physically and spiritually absent from your spouse and from. Your children, like you're sinning if you do that, if you continue to act like you're single when you're married. One of the primary ways that you serve Jesus if you're married and if you have kids is by loving your spouse and loving your children. That's really the primary area where your discipleship to Jesus is going to play out. That's how you live as you are called. And so because that's the reality, that married people, by necessity, are just going to have uh, divided interests and attention, competing demands on their interests and attention, Paul is commending singleness because it has this distinct advantage of being able to have more freedom and flexibility uh, to be free from those anxieties and to be free from undivided attention because and being married, it brings anxieties uh, and it divides your attention. Like every decision I make now, I have to factor my wife into it. If I'm going to spend money, I've got to think about how I'm spending our money. Right? I've got to think about how I'm spending my time. I can't just decide on my way home from work, I want to get Bojangles and grab Bojangles and walk in and be like, hey, don't worry about me. I took care of myself because it's not just myself that I have to worry about. You know, I can't just say, hey, Saturdays are for the boys. You kind of need to understand that and just peace out on her every Saturday of the year. And all those responsibilities and that divided attention, it just increases if you, if you throw kids into the mix. Um, we've got two dogs, and before you email me, I'm not comparing having dogs to having children. Uh, I don't think having dogs is the same thing as having children, so save me your emails. Uh, because, you know, if Braylon and I want to go somewhere, if we want to go on a date or we just need to do something, uh, we can put our dogs in their crates and, and we can just go. Uh, you can't do that with kids. I mean, you can try the whole put them in their crate and go thing, but people usually throw you in jail for that, uh, as they should. Right? You, you can't just both leave at, at 10 or 11 at night to go do something and leave young kids at home. And, and you say goodbye to your hobbies and free time. Right? Like, what are your hobbies and free time if you're a parent? watching Encanto and Bluey and Trash Truck four million times, and then when your kids get a little bit older, it's going to concerts and games and practices and recitals. And every decision you make, you don't just make it for you anymore. Like, if you're going to think about moving to take a new job, you've got to think about, well, is, is my spouse going to be able to get a job in their field if we move here? Uh, where are our kids going to go to school? Uh, is it wise for us to take our kids away from their friends? Like, you have to weigh and consider all of that. Like, you, you can't just, well, you can, but you should not just come in one day and be like, hey, uh, good news, I got a new job. Uh, we're moving to California in a week, so pack your bags. Uh, and and just do that. Like, you can't do that. And so by necessity, you're just more constrained. You just have these competing interests on your attention because you, by necessity, you have to meet the needs and pay attention to your your spouse and your children. And so you have uh, less freedom and flexibility to meet the needs of others outside of your immediate family. But singleness does afford you some of those opportunities. You, you do have a little bit more freedom and flexibility to meet the needs of others. So for example, let's say there's like a church plant in a different state or overseas that we're, we're trying to support, and you want to go be a part of that church plant. Well, it's just a little bit easier for you to go and move and do that and, and just move one if you're able to get a, a new job at that place. Like you, you do have more freedom to go sit with a friend that needs somebody to sit with them. You do have a little bit more freedom to drop everything at 10 or 11 at night if somebody is in crisis and needs someone there. You have more opportunity for a breadth of deep friendships and the opportunity to meet needs and serve others and just practically live on mission for Jesus. Maybe giving you a picture of somebody who's doing this uh, would help. There's a, there's a preaching professor at Southern Seminary in Kentucky named Abraham Curavilla And uh, he is single by choice because he wants to uh, have the freedom to serve God with undivided attention. He points that back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here. And so he is single by choice. He believes he, he has the gift of celibacy, and he's just said, I'm going to be single for life. Like, I'm not going to pursue marriage. I'm not going to date anybody. I want to be able to devote my time fully to serving Jesus and serving people. And so he's a preaching professor at the seminary, and he's a practicing clinical dermatologist. Uh, He knows that he would not be able to do both of those things if he had a spouse and children. He'd have to be a pretty absentee husband and father to do both of those things. But he does this because he wants the freedom to be able to serve God and serve people with undivided attention. And and look, in bringing him up, I I do want to acknowledge that's not everybody's singleness story. Uh, He has three earned doctorates, and that's not going to be the path for probably any of us uh, in here. Uh, And so I'm not holding him out as the model. I'm holding him out as a model. Like some of you very well, as you're praying, as you're seeking God, you might make that choice, that you feel like God has given you the gift to be single for life, and you're going to dedicate your life to serving God and serving people. Uh, But I know many others of you are not going to have that settled conviction of like single for life. I could crush that. And and hear me, if you're not wrong for that, look again at what Paul says uh, at verse 35. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, there's a lot of freedom here. Do you want to be single and just devote yourself to that? you're free to do that. But if you want to get married, you're free to do that too. Because he goes on in verse 36 and talks about people who are betrothed. So think like dating or engaged. And he says, if your passions toward them are strong and you want to marry them, you can do that. You haven't sinned. Then he circles back in verse 37 and look at what he says. He says, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart, To keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, I think what Paul says here clarifies what he says earlier in chapter 7 about having the gift of singleness. I know if you've got any background in the church, you've probably heard the gift of singleness talked about in kind of a real mystical way, and I really think Paul demystifies it here. Because when Paul's talking about the gifts of marriage and singleness, these are not gifts for life. These are gifts of the season that you're in. And so, for example, for the first 22 years of my life, I had the gift of singleness, and and since then, I've had the gift of marriage. And and many of those of us in here who have the gift of marriage right now are one day going to have the gift of singleness again. Like, there aren't like four- and five-year-olds over in Veritas Kids this morning that have the gift of marriage because they're going to grow up one day and get married. Now, if you're single, you have the gift of singleness right now, and that does not mean that this gift is for life. Yet, once again, for some people it may very well be, but not for many of us. So each gift brings different and unique circumstances that you're able to serve God in. And so we should see each season and each gift as that, as a gift that gives us unique opportunities uh, to serve God in each season we find ourselves in. And here's how Paul further demystifies this. Do you want to be married? And then pray and ask God for a spouse. And and keep asking. It is not a sinful desire to want to be married. You're not making an idol out of marriage simply by wanting to be married. And so keep praying and asking God for this, to bring this about. And maybe it so happens that while you're praying this, that You begin to fall more in line with what Paul says here in verse 37, and you're able to just kind of determine it in your heart, and it becomes more firmly established in your heart, like, yeah, I really don't need a spouse. I'm really not burning with this passion and desire right now to be married. Man, if that's you, run in that freedom and serve Jesus with it. Just acknowledge, like, yeah, right now I've got the gift of singleness, and maybe that gift is going to be for a little bit longer than I originally thought it would, but Man, God in His grace, He's given me this unique gift and unique season uh, to serve Him, and He's equipped me and empowered me and and called me to that. And so you pray, and you let God lead you through those desires and how He shapes those desires as you pray to Him and you trust Him. But maybe you keep praying for that, that desire for a spouse, and that desire, it doesn't get reshaped as you pray. You just continue to burn with a passion and a desire to be married. Man, if that's you, pursue dating and marriage. Like, it doesn't have to be super mystical. You can see, you can at the same time see the gift of singleness and the season of singleness that you're in as a gift, and at the same time still pursue marriage. Like, it doesn't have to be super mystical. If you want to be married, pursue dating and marriage. But I do want to acknowledge in saying that, that I know that there there are many of us who have had that desire to be married, and we've prayed about that desire to be married, and God hasn't reshaped that desire. We've just continued to burn with a desire and a passion to be married, and God has left that desire continually unfulfilled. Man, if that's your situation, what Paul is not saying here is, if you desire to be married and you're not married, there's something wrong with you. He is not saying that. And so if this is the the season and the circumstance you find yourself in. I want to do two things. I want to first apologize to you, and then second, I want to encourage you. I want to apologize to you. I I am sorry for the ways that the church at large, and often we at Veritas, have not handled singleness and single people uh, very well. I'm sorry for the ways that many of you have been taught. If you can just learn how to be content in your singleness, then God will send you the perfect spouse. Listen, that's just not something that he has ever promised to any of us, and I'm sorry for the ways that people have lied to you about that. Look, it is not wrong to desire to be married, and contentment in your singleness does not, like you, does not look like you getting to the point where you stop having a desire to be married. I'm sorry for the ways that people in the church have sometimes treated you like you're half a person, making every conversation with you about how they've got someone they want to set you up with, Uh, and treating you and implying like you're not really a full person until you get married. I'm sorry for that. And then, too, I want to encourage you. Like, if this is where you find yourself, God is not punishing you. I can't tell you exactly what he's doing in your life by leaving this desire for marriage unfulfilled, but I can promise you he is not punishing you because he loves you. He does not just love a future version of you. He does not just love a cleaned up version of you. He does not just love you when you get content with your singleness or you steward it well or, or whatever like that. No, he loves you when you yell at him in prayer for the 10th time this week about, God, why does it always feel like I'm always the bridesmaid and never the bride? Like, bring those hurts and those questions and those frustrations to him. He can handle them. Because what I do know is that even if God leaves this desire for marriage unfulfilled in your life, he will be enough for you. He will give you the strength. He will strengthen you in himself to lead you into whatever uh, he leads you into. And so bring these concerns to him. Bring these questions to him. Bring these hurts and frustrations to him. He's your father. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. And he wants to show you and prove to you that he will be enough for you. And like Paul, I want to encourage you, as you're doing that, again, you can at the same time acknowledge the hardships and difficulties of singleness and still recognize it as a gift, that this is a gift that God has given me to to give me undivided time and undivided attention to follow him right now. And even when it's hard, I'm going to step into that. Like, I'll just tell you, I have spent so much time in my life discontent about where I'm at and wanting to get to the next season and get to the next thing to the point that it kept me from being able to recognize that the season that I was in was a gift from God, and I I don't want that for you. Like, I'm just telling you, you're leaving a lot of joy on the table that God wants to give you if you do that. Like, life is going to be miserable if you spend all your time thinking about what you don't have and how God... Uh, has, is holding out on you, something that God has never promised to any of us, to the point that it keeps you from stepping into being obedient and knowing God and enjoying God and walking with him right now, right where you're at. Man, because as incredible of a gift as marriage is, it's not the promised land. Like, Jesus is the promised land, and you do have him. One more thing uh, that Paul addresses in this passage, and I think it has some helpful things to say about dating, Uh, so here we go, right? Verse 39, he says, if a woman's husband dies, she is free to be remarried to whoever she wants to, but only in the Lord. And so when Paul says, this is a, a command here too, when he says only in the Lord, he's talking about only marrying another believer. And so hear me say, God is so gracious to work through all sorts of different situations. And if you failed to do this, or maybe you got married to an unbeliever when you were an unbeliever, and then you came to faith in Jesus and your spouse is still an unbeliever, like, hear me say, like, you are not second class. We just saw last week in in chapter 7, like, your marriage is not sinful. It's holy. God sees it as holy, and you can live as you are called and serve Jesus right where he has you. Like, it did not take him by surprise. Um, but, but I'm talking to those of us who are not married yet, who are dating, or maybe who are dating and pursuing remarriage. And so Paul's conviction and his command here is that we should only marry in the Lord, only marry another believer. And look, this just makes sense. If the fundamental commitments and convictions of your life are to live your whole life for Jesus, and to serve Him, and to walk with Him, and to know Him, and, and to love Him, Why would you unite yourself in the closest possible human relationship with somebody who doesn't share those same commitments and convictions? Do you know how hard everyday life is going to be when you are that opposed on the most fundamental commitments and convictions about life? Like what you think is important and what you really think is worth living for? Man, and I don't understand why this is the case, but it just feels like so many of us think that we are going to be the exception to this, that if we date and then marry an unbeliever, that we're going to be able to affect and influence them, while at the same time they're not going to affect and influence us, that we're going to be able to win them to Jesus. But I'll just tell you, there is a much better track record of people who once looked like they had a passion for Jesus, begin to date and marry an unbeliever, and then walk away from Jesus and walk away from the church than the other way around. Like, I cannot tell you how many friends and classmates I had that I grew up with who looked like they loved Jesus and looked like they had a passion for Jesus, begin to date, and then they got married to an unbeliever. And and, men, they just don't really follow Jesus anymore. Even if they go to church, they're just nominal, just kind of Christian in name only. Jesus is not the dominating focus and passion of their lives. They don't live for Jesus. He's very much a side piece and an accessory to their lives. Uh, and even if they go to church, they just kind of do that because that's what you're culturally expected to do. Like, man, look, you're not going to be the exception to this. You are not smarter than God, and God gave us this command for our flourishing. And if this is where you find yourself right now, if you're longing to be married and kind of waiting on a spouse, I think maybe the best thing you can do, uh, instead of just simply focusing on finding the right kind of person, is at the same time also focus on being the right kind of perf- person. So you focus on following Jesus deeply and walking with him and growing in character, growing to look more like him. Uh, so that when this person comes along and you, see, you meet this person, you're like, man, they love Jesus. Uh, they follow him. I want to get to know them. They don't turn around and think the exact opposite about you. Like, they don't see you and think, man, this person really isn't that serious about Jesus. They're pretty immature. I don't want to spend any time with them. And because here's the truth. Wherever you are, there you are. Whoever you are right now is whoever you're going to be bringing into a marriage if you get married. If you're not serving God until you get a spouse, what makes you think you're magically going to start serving him when you do get one? And this is what Paul, so much of what Paul has been doing here in chapter 7 is taking away our excuse to say, no, I'll really get serious about Jesus and I'll really start following him when I get in this new circumstance or when I get this new job or when I get married And Paul's saying, no, you you live as you are called. If you're not serving God now, why would you magically start then? Because you realize marriage does not fix your issues. It just magnifies them. You're putting two sinners together. How how do you think that's going to work? And so, man, make your focus. I'm going to follow Jesus with undivided attention. I'm going to grow in him and, and follow him with my whole life. man. And then see if and where God leads you and if he leads you somebody in that. The the big point in all of this, if you've missed everything up to this point, don't miss this. The big point in all of this is that all of your life is meant to be lived all for Jesus. So whether you're married, single, parent, child, like wherever you are, you are in the perfect place to serve and follow Jesus. So just follow Jesus there. Live your whole life for Jesus. Even when it's hard, you can see uh, where God has you as a gift and serve God there. And and so live free in light of the gift that God has given you. Step into this freedom uh, and use this gift to serve him. Because wherever you are right now, you have an opportunity to bear witness to the gospel. I've heard it said uh, that married couples have an opportunity to bear witness to the depths of the gospel, while singles have an opportunity to bear witness to the breadth of the gospel in in that you have more freedom and flexibility to pursue deep friendships with a broader number of people. Because look, Jesus in his humanity as he walked on this earth, he never had sex, was never married, and was the most fulfilled human being imaginable. He's the true, like he is what true humanity is. He's what true humanity looks like. We're being remade into his image and we become more fully human as we become more like him. And so Jesus, he was single But he was not alone. He had deep friendships with both men and women, uh, so much so that in John 15, he tells them that he's actually going to lay his life down on the cross for his friends, that he calls us his friends, and that he is dying on the cross to bring us in and make us his friends. And in your singleness, as you pursue deep friendships and you welcome people and you, you pursue those relationships with people, you have the opportunity to bear witness to the breadth of that gospel reality and the friendship of Jesus, how he uh, opens his doors wide and he welcomes diverse peoples and he invites anyone to his table who will come to him. And Jesus also died to make us, the church, his bride, and he loves us. He gives himself for us. He sacrifices for us to make us new and make us look more like himself. He has united himself to us in the closest possible relationship, and he is committed to us, and all of us, married or single, who trust in Jesus will know the depths and the joys of that union with Jesus forever. Married couples, we get the opportunity to bear witness to the depths of God's love for us in the gospel, how he loves us and he has committed himself to us and he's not changing his mind about us and he's not going anywhere. And and just as important for all of us, Jesus died to make all of us married or single family. We are family in Jesus and that's the only way that any of this works in the church when we live like the family that we already are in Jesus. So this means being in each other's homes. This means inviting each other into the normal rhythms and patterns of our lives. This means just being friends with one another and spending time with each other. Like, look, I'm not asking you to add something to your calendar. I'm asking you to invite someone into the normal rhythms and patterns of your life. Like, invite people into your life. Invite people into the rhythms of your family. Like, they're a part of your family because in Jesus... They really are. And part of what this also means, part of what it looks like to live together as a family is that we honor each other for the different gifts that God has given us and we help each other serve and follow Jesus with those diverse gifts because that's what these are. Gifts to serve and know and worship and follow Jesus wherever he has us, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. So wherever you are, you are in the perfect place. to serve Jesus and fulfill his calling on your life. There's a lot of joy to be found in stepping into that. Let me pray that we would. Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Thank you for the good news of the gospel, that Jesus, you are our friend, that you have died to make us your friends, that you know us, that you love us, that you have united us to yourself. And that we stand in a union with you that that even the best marriages here are just a dim shadow of. Jesus, thank you that you love us like this. I I pray that your love for us in the gospel would would be a means of pushing us forward to bear witness to your gospel as we go about our daily lives. Help us as married and as singles and as parents and as children to, to follow you where you have us and where you've called us to. God, would you do that among us? I I pray that you would. In your name, amen.